Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right, Brandy Walker, welcome. Hello. The Asking Why podcast, episode 17. I wrote 16, but I, I realized last week was sweet 16. So today we're going to be talking about grief. Um, lots of things about grief. For those listening, you know, all of us have experienced grief and loss issues a lot in this last year with COVID and all the things. So we're going to try to get into that. The goal of the podcast today is just to really um, validate people that are out there listening that have, have struggled and who have been through loss. Um and to talk about maybe some do's and don'ts and really just kind of give a really holistic picture of what grief is, what grief is not. Mm-hmm. Um, because these are, you know, subjects that people don't really talk about in length, you know, they don't really dive into. And yeah, there's a bunch of really good books on grief, but there's, it's a difference between here and real humans talk about it. And Right. Yeah. I agree. So okay. tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. I'm Brandy Walker. I'm a licensed professional counselor and um, trained in EMDR. Primarily work with adults, but I do see teenagers from 14 and up. So I have a few teenagers in my caseload as well. Um, Work with a lot of trauma Mm -hmm. and a lot of, I do have a lot of clients that are experiencing grief and then other things that present anxiety, depression. Um, haven't dealt with it a lot here, but have a lot of experience with um, like chronic mental illness. Mm-hmm. And so I do have a couple of clients that kind of fall into that range. But <clears throat> so I can see just about anything. But yeah, I do want to work on my primary, not my primary focus, but being more. Um, more training in grief so that I can serve that population more. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about you, like long-term, like how'd you get here? How'd you get into counseling? Like what made you want to become a counselor? And Well, so... You're from Shreveport, right? I am from Shreveport, yes. That's in Louisiana for those of us that are listening that, you know, are not local. So um, I don't know if it's personality. Well, it's probably got to be personality, but from a very young age... People just always came to me and told me their secrets Mm. and wanted to talk to me. I never had to ask questions. People always just wanted to share their information with me. And I've kind of always been a person that sat back and listened before I talk. And I think that's kind of what, but I used to sit on my front porch and my friends would come (laughs) and they would just be telling me stuff. Mm -hmm. My my parents would tell me stuff. Um, So around, unfortunately, yes, (laughs) (laughs) around high school age, I kind of started thinking about how can I use that? Because this is something that just happens naturally. naturally, yeah. and, and I've always kind of been 
accepting. Like, it doesn't matter what you come to me and say. Mm-hmm. I don't have that. I don't react. Yeah. And, and make people uncomfortable. So, um, open and non judgmental. Yes. Yeah, it's good. So, I started out thinking I was going to be a psychologist. Mm. And by the time I began college, I took the really, really long path and I worked full time mm-hmm. and did college all at night. So, it took me 10 years to finish all of it. And so, by the time I got to the point of doing a master's, I was like, I'm not becoming a psychologist. So <laughs> I went the counseling route. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Well, and also what you think <laughs> psychologists do and what, like the general public, even us before becoming clinicians, you don't really know what anybody does. Absolutely. So you're like, I want to talk with people and be empathetic. I got to be a psychologist. I need to have a doctorate. You know, I got to do all this stuff. And then you realize like, oh, actually that doesn't help me make any more money. <laughs> and it doesn't help me like see people anymore. It helps me teach. It helps me do <laughs> research, but it's actually not necessarily going to help me do this any better. Right. Yeah. So ultimately I pursued um, my master's in counseling and, um, and then from there, where'd you go? Louisiana tech. Okay. Tech bar still actually. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, did every bit of it while I worked full time. Wow. My master's getting my master's. I worked for an attorney and that was an experience. Oh, I bet. It's a very difficult job. <laughs> and then I had to go to school at night, <laughs> Yeah. but, um, that's okay. <laughs> we got there. And so right out of school, my first job was inpatient psych. Mm. And um, I did not do internships in psych or like that kind of field. So it was a very... Um, can you, for those listening out there who don't know what inpatient psych is, can you tell them a little bit about what that is? Well, that's a lot of chronic mental illness come through inpatient psych or people who are in psychosis, gotcha. which means they're... You know, their brain is really not functioning right Mm -hmm. and their behavior is uncontrollable and possibly hurtful. And so they have to come into a setting that monitors their medication, changes their medication, and is safe for them to not hurt themselves or someone else. Mm -hmm. So I worked inpatient geriatric psych and adult psych, then moved into inpatient addiction, which was challenging. But... um, and the challenges there were inpatient, you don't, it's like crisis intervention all the time. And mm-hmm. so you never get past that to see anyone grow or, or even take anything that you might be offering um, because you're just trying to stabilize them enough to go back out on the world. Right. Yeah. You're just trying to meet with them so they're not going to kill themselves, kill somebody else. And so you can say, okay, they're okay and can be in society. Right. Yeah. I think that's what's so mm-hmm. hard as a clinician when you, you have all this training, especially for you, like <laughs> as you're saying, you have all this empathy, all this understanding, <laughs> all this like, tell me your deep secrets. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you know, talking nonsense or just not capable of doing it. Right. And you're just, you know, dealing, you mm-hmm. know, managing that and then moving them on. Right. It's tough. Which I will say that that taught me a whole, whole lot about how you have to sometimes really, really scale back to the very, very basics of things that a lot of average day-to-day people know. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But there are some people that went, that have not had the same experiences or mm-hmm. the same education or same backgrounds. And so sometimes you have to take it back to even processes that you have never thought through, how does this happen? Yeah. How do we get to this point? Um, 
the top of my head. Let's see. You mean um, like parents act like this and, and, you know, like systems things or that people don't know how to go to the store and buy things, yes, you know, like, like yeah, that, yeah. like those kind of things, Basic like totally scaling type. it back to, yeah. okay, so you don't know how to give yourself a bath properly. Yes. Yeah. That was a lot in inpatient, like, and I'd never in my life, I'd never experienced anything right. like that. So it was a very, and I'm not a confrontational person either. So it was very challenging for me to have to sit down with people and say, you have to take a shower. Yeah. <laughs> and this is how often you need to. And this is how, this is what you have to do when you're in the shower. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just like those things you basics. do with kids, right? Yeah. It's like yes. you have to wash here. You can't just leave that. Yes, yeah. But these were and in, in inpatient adults. addiction, the majority of them were men. Mm-hmm. Those, I mean, I learned really fast how to get over being uncomfortable <laughs> with certain things. I bet. <laughs> and yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, so then after, um, and they don't tell you that in grad school. <laughs> no, they do not. <laughs> so after that, I moved on to working in a um, mental health rehab mm-hmm. where we serviced both. Um, Clients with private insurance and clients with kind of that are in the Medicaid programs. Right. And so there were different avenues that went with that. Um, We serviced a lot of military families um, in that particular setting. And then that place, unfortunately, closed down (laughs) unexpectedly. Or fortunately. (laughs) Yes. And I got to move right into this job yeah and that was in july of 2019 oh no yeah so well, yeah almost two years ago that's right so and here we are so. absolutely well it's been great to have you i mean I, you know jenna was kind of your partner in crime over there so yes. shout out to her and y'all both came on staff and i remember meeting sitting down over at the word network <laughs> on the couch and just talking and looking at vision stuff and you know i just thought you guys were such a good fit um, i love that you were friends and that you had this background and you know, it was awesome to see, although it was tragic at the time for y'all losing your job and not know what you're going to do. Right. It was a great fit for the Bozier office and moving over into the new office. And, mm-hmm. you know, so that was just so cool. And, uh, I loved, I've loved having you. Um, and I think, you know, I've heard so many awesome things from clients and, you know, and I say this about all our therapists, not because I'm bragging on you because it's true, you know, y'all do some <clears throat> incredible work. Um, and so I was super excited about, and one thing you've always talked about is grief and your own story and your own experience. And so, you know, to get to this session on grief, I mean, you know, we all have our own stories. So let's talk, you know, tell your kind of story. Why is grief such an important topic for you? And then I'll go into kind of why it is for me. Okay. Well, so I've always had a soft spot for grief. And at one, one time I had briefly entertained the idea of like working in funeral homes Mm -hmm. um and ultimately i chose (laughs) that i would rather talk with people and help them in life than than that part but Mm -hmm. um but in um beginning in 2018 myself and my family have gone through in less than two years we lost six family members and one of those was my fiance and his death was this is the part I told you I might get (laughs) emotional. Um, His death was sudden and unexpected. And I mean, he had a massive heart attack and he was dead within moments Mm. on our living room floor. And um, so that really propelled me into 
my own journey of grief. Yeah. And, um, of course, up until that point, I had lost other people in my life, but no one that had that kind of impact. Mm -hmm. And so I had to begin my own journey and I became very up close and personal with figuring out how do I do this? How do I get through this? And I'm a very hands-on type of person. So I had to have lots of things helping me move through it. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't just sit with it. I had to like do. do. (laughs) And um, so, and I mean, that was, it's a journey that continues, but I'm in a very, very different place than I was two years ago with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of what has led me to be passionate yeah about grief absolutely well yeah i I know we've talked about it before but i know that loss is really heavy and still still really heavy Mm -hmm. um and that's i think what's so hard as counselors is we have our own stuff going on right i mean you were a therapist you're a counselor and you know and that doesn't mean life doesn't happen right i i was off for two weeks yeah and the first week was planning the funeral the second week i did my best friend lives out of town and I got on a plane after the funeral and left because I couldn't, I just couldn't be here. Mm. And then I came back, had to go in the house because that's the home I lived in (laughs) and right back to work. And the moment I got back to work, the day I got back to work, they began talking about financial problems and Mm. (laughs) we were, I was propelled into having to figure out finances and make changes and, then of course a year later the place shut down yeah so it was it's a lot a lot (laughs) right so that you know just speaking of your own story it's not just a simple i'm sad because someone's gone it's all the things that are involved in that and Mm -hmm. in your experience especially one it's a different type of grief because it's so sudden and shocking Mm -hmm. and then two i mean there's a lot of trauma within right can you talk about that a little bit well and that is something that is you know there are it's kind of like there's a couple of types of grief and all grief experiences aren't traumatic. They're all hurtful mm-hmm. and they all bring pain, but there are times when we are more prepared for it or it's kind of in the natural course of things where that we all expect to happen. Mm-hmm. And then there are the things that happen that are sudden and you're not prepared for it. It hasn't, really been a thought in your mind and then all of a sudden everything in your life is completely different yeah and there's not anything you can do about it so yeah it's tough (laughs) it is tough so that kind of propelled you into looking you know more at grief and and what you want to do with grief and so talk a little I mean if you want to keep using your own story you can just Mm -hmm. talk in generalities but you know what are some things that you went through that were helpful you know what are some things that people can do when people are going through things that are helpful and then what what are some things that you think would be that that weren't helpful um so for me I was really very very fortunate because I worked in an office full of counselors (laughs) (laughs) and um my family was absolutely wonderful I didn't I had very few experiences that weren't supportive or good Mm -hmm. and I think that's rare (laughs) you know a lot of people a lot of people um are propelled into the position of they either don't have support or the support is not able to 
meet needs or yeah. handle their emotions. Um, but I guess for me, it was very helpful that Jenna specifically, you know, she we were in offices right next to each other, but um, she made a point for an entire year to check on me every weekend because mm. that's when I was alone at home in that house. <laughs> and, um, and that made a huge impact. And, you know, wasn't something I ever asked for, but she, right. she had the compassion to do that. Um, um, things that were helpful for me were, and this one may sound really strange, but he was the last person that cleaned our house and I could not clean our house. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, fortunately I had the finances. I had to bring, I brought someone in to clean my house. I couldn't touch the things and that seems very strange, but well, no, I mean, I you couldn't know do this, it. But that, yeah, that, that's the trauma, right? Is that right. There are things that in our brains, you know, that bring up that pain, that pain and that loss mm-hmm. and we can't tolerate it. Right. Yeah. You know, we, we can't clean or we can't go back to that place or we can't drive that car. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't go by that hospital, you know, right. because some griefs are very traumatic. Like you said, yes. they're not all grief is, is in my opinion, right. Like we've talked about before, you know, anything that's not nurturing is traumatic, but how how that trauma um, helps you function, right? Mm -hmm. Some griefs, if your grandmother's lived 90 years old and you have a great relationship with her and she passes away, it's sad, it's traumatic. No one's supposed to die in in our spiritual kind of world. Like, you know, we want to live forever. And so it is like, oh my gosh, you have to deal with death and dying. But there's some closure, there's some expectation, there's some, they Mm -hmm. lived a good life, they had a long journey. Right. You know, they said goodbye. All those things help mm-hmm. the trauma symptoms be limited. Yes. But in your case, and in, you know, lots of cases lots of, of cases. people we work with, mm-hmm. you know, car wrecks, illness, heart attack, you know, all these different things, or, you know, suicide. Right. The, it's, the grief is really traumatic to the person left behind. Mm-hmm. You know, when we were, this was, I think, eight years ago now, my brother-in-law had uh, a glioblastoma, I think is what it was called. It was a prefrontal cancer. And he had been battling it for, I think since he was like 18. And he had two or three surgeries. My sister was married to him. And it was just up and down, up and down. Cancer treatments, recovery, you know, all these different things. And he uh, finally, you know, passed. And he was 26. And we knew it was coming, sort of. You know, it had come back and come out of remission and been really bad. And he had two little girls and our family was just, you know, all around it, dealing with it. It was just chaos. Mm-hmm. You know, no one really knew what to do. Right. <clears throat> no one comes in and tells you what to do. Right. You know, we end up getting on hospice and putting them in a hospital bed at their house. And me and my wife don't have kids. So we're kind of taking care of the nieces and we don't know what to do with the two and three year old. So we're winging it and it was just chaos. Mm-hmm. And then you got your family systems issues. So everybody, you know, handles it differently and thinks you should do something differently. And everybody's sad and hurting and grieving. And mm-hmm. it, it's a lot. It is a lot. You know, and so that wasn't immediate. But because of the type of death it was and because of the type of thing it was, it had all kinds of other problems. Right. Right. And that's one, one thing. When someone has a, a terminal illness, yes, it does give you some time to prepare and you become definitely closer and more aware to the fact that this person is going to be leaving us. Yeah. But there's trauma in watching somebody. Absolutely. Die. I mean, a lot of trauma in that. And I mean, that's. Yeah. When you're changing their yeah. diaper and walking them to the bathroom and they're 26. Mm-hmm. Right. 
And, you know, five months ago you were at Disney World. Right. You know, and then five months later, that's mm-hmm. what's going on. It's a crazy thing to get your brain around. Right. You're like, hold on, this is this person I was playing basketball with and laughing with five months ago and was in remission. Right. And now he can't even, he thinks the flashlight is, or the water cup is a flashlight and he can't even function. Mm-hmm. You know, and then two days later he can't respond and is unresponsive. And then you're sitting with them for eight hours while they pass. Like, it's, it's a totally different thing. Right. None of them are better or worse. Right. You know, that's, I think that's the problem with grief is that we try to measure them or compare them to others. Right. And although books are helpful and this podcast mm-hmm. is helpful, you mm-hmm. know, like, you have to figure out what it is. You have to do the work to right. figure out what that grief is for you. Right. And what that means to you and what you believe about God and about loss yes, and about absolutely. life. And your faith can be very challenged and tested in those times Mm -hmm. but if you walk through that and continue to pursue your own healing and your you know continue on your own journey a lot of times people come out on the other side with a whole new and different understanding of god Mm -hmm. and how he can meet you in the midst of those times when when there isn't anyone can anything anyone can say to make it better yeah talk about that so let's talk about how the terrible things people say whenever people are grieving so what are some things that you've heard from clients but that you experience personally um and again i didn't experience a lot of people saying the wrong things again i worked in an office full of counselors and that's where i spent most of my time but the majority of people get responses and get things said to them like um when it was sudden like when it's a sudden death sometimes they get well at least you didn't have to watch them die yeah or if it was um or if it was you had to watch them they're like at least it wasn't sudden and you weren't surprised right absolutely that can go vice versa or um when people lose children well you can have another baby oh yeah um yeah the whole rainbow baby thing is (laughs) it's a lot um, yeah. And I mean, what I mean by that, and just to throw that out there for people listening is, you know, when you say things like that, it's almost, it's like you, you're going to make up for right. the child you lost, you know, whether it's Absolutely. a miscarriage or a four year old or six year old or whatever, right? you, you know, people, <clears throat> I think if we key in on what the problem is, is that people want to take your pain away. Yes. You know, people are uncomfortable with pain. And so they want to say something cause they love you mm-hmm. for the most part mm-hmm. that takes your pain away. Right. And Unfortunately, what that tells us is that your pain shouldn't be there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're a grieving person, it's like, well, you know, they're in heaven with the Lord, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, that may be true, but I'm not grieving that they're with Jesus. I'm grieving my own pain and my own loss. I'm grieving the laugh that they had or the thing that we did or the joke that we told or, you know, the experience of life with them. Mm-hmm. We're the ones suffering. Right. You know, but people want to kind of fix that. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm sitting here trying to think of some others. I had a whole list of them in my mind earlier. It's all good. Um, Any statements that, I mean, it's kind of like looking at statements that minimize somebody's feelings or the situation or what someone's expressing. Those are the things you should not do. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) You know. um, Right, so validating. Yes, yeah, if you don't understand, don't try to put yourself in their position. Right. Don't, if you lost, if the person lost a, a three-year-old in a car wreck, 
don't explain to them about how you lost your adult son who's on drugs. Right. Like that's another thing people right. do is they compare and contrast yes. their losses and their griefs with yours mm-hmm. and they're never measurable. Right. It's I not, mean, it's not from bad intentions. I mean, we've all made the mistake of saying something stupid because we love somebody, mm-hmm. but you're invalidating their own experience. You're making it about you really. Right. And sometimes from my experience, some of the best things that you can do is allow the person not only to talk about what they are feeling, but to talk about that person. Oh yeah. You know, talking about the person is, that's all. I'm not gonna say that's all somebody wants to do, but I know for me, it was a huge thing that just because he was no longer present on earth didn't mean everything I knew about him and everything I felt had stopped. So people were so uncomfortable with that though. (laughs) Yes, they are. Um, uh, you know, allowing people to talk about it and just sitting with them. Oh yeah. You don't have to say anything. You know, asking them. And in the beginning, often people do not know and they can't tell you what they need. Mm-hmm. And that's when you can do things like just look around and think about your your own life and what you would need that's such you know? a good, so, such good advice sometimes it's like okay don't say can i go to the grocery store for her? you just say i'm gonna go get some things at the grocery store for you yeah let me do your laundry let me um let me pick the kids up from school you yeah. know just little bitty things that were normal everyday things before but now it's those things become like these big, huge things they have to tackle. Oh, yeah. Because grief causes, whether it's traumatic or not traumatic, your brain goes into that defensive fight or flight yeah. thing. And it's, that's all you can think about. Yeah, it's like loss. you talked about with the cleaning, you know, or, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's so hard for for us <laughs> to know what we need in the moment because we're, in, I mean, in shock a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And... For people out there trying to help people in this situation, remember that people don't know what they need. So, yeah, do something. But then if you try to do something and they don't like it, don't be butthurt about it. Absolutely. You know, don't yeah. don't be offended that you went and got groceries and then they're like, well, hey, my kids actually don't eat any of this. Mm-hmm. So could you go back and get this? Right. Yeah, that's inconvenient. Mm-hmm. But I think people have to go into helping people grieving with really the perspective of I will do whatever you need. Right. You might not know what that is and I will try the best. Mm-hmm. But, you know, yeah, it's the worst. And, I, and I've done this so many times, but it's like, you know, you, you tell somebody, well, let me know if you need something. Right. That's the worst. And, and I've said and, it. But it's like. we do it with the best intentions. Absolutely. But what I have found, and not so much with myself, but with clients, they'll tell me, I don't want to ask people. Oh, yeah. I don't want to be a burden. Mm-hmm. I don't want to bother anyone. And so I try to work with them to say, okay, let's make a list of what you need and who can you, who is asking you, what can I do? Oh, yeah. And give them some specifics, you know, but generally you can't do that in the first two, three weeks, sometimes even a month. Sometimes a little further down the line is when you can say, let's look at what you do need help with. And that's such a great point, Brandy, because that's another thing like. People show up really hardcore the first like week. Yes, and then and then they're gone. <laughs> yeah, it's like a year later. You're still dealing with the grief, and those people are 
on with their life, moving on, mm-hmm. you know, doing their own thing. And I think that's another area that makes it challenging is kind of the concept we've put out into the world over time is you should be over it. Yeah, you and, got two weeks and you had to be back at work. Yeah. And that's insane. <laughs> and, you know, well, and that, yeah, that was just my situation. There was no money. And I no, had to support I myself. Yeah. But um, it's an insane concept that, like, as a, as a, like, as employers, as systems, that yes. we don't have a system set up to take care of people when they're grieving. Right. Especially when it's specifically tragic and, you know, random. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like paternity leave or maternity leave, you know, it's like yes. those things are garbage in America, you know, and paternity leave is not even a thing, you know, mm-hmm. barely. But it's like even 10, 12 weeks is not nearly enough for a mom to go through what she has to go through. So it's it, it's crazy because these systems are just so broken in which we forget what, you know, we're just so about products and production and making money. and Yes, yes. And everybody's, you know, losing. And it's like we all know that people die and that we need mm-hmm. help and that it all of us know it mm-hmm. doesn't take two weeks to get over. Right. And yet the big umbrella like opinion is just get over it. People right. die. Right. You need to move on. You got to get back to work. You got to do life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And sadly, if you, if you have moved on in certain ways in a short amount of time, then that's unhealthy too. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Or well, just, you know, that? like maybe when it comes to, if someone does lose a spouse and in three or four months they're already dating six months they're married again like you haven't you really have not dealt with anything that you're feeling you've just brought another person in to kind of i guess dull or take the place of that feeling of being alone and empty and yeah maybe maybe that's the hard part and sometimes it doesn't work out and it's terrible yeah and and sometimes Mm -hmm. it works out really well and it's a it's insane when people do it i mean i think i think you're you're talking about a risk factor right so when you talk in generalities like no one should do that it's hard and i'm not saying you're saying that right what i'm saying is is we see enough people and know enough people that you know somebody passes and and getting in a new relationship whether that's a divorce whether that's Mm -hmm. any loss any change Mm -hmm. in relationship quickly is always more risky Mm -hmm. now there are people who that works out for and god works that out in their lives and it it works out but for the majority of people right if they haven't been in therapy if they haven't been working on their stuff if they haven't really processed out what's going on right it raises your risk factor of that not going well really high right right yeah because it's you know the outliers that are out there that are like, well, I got remarried in six months and it just happened and God put this person in my life. And, right. and sometimes that's true, and I, y- but yes, that's not the norm. I agree with that. Yes. But yeah, when you come from a place of com- brokenness like that and because you don't know how to deal with it or you don't want to deal with it, you make decisions based on that. You There's, there's consequences to everything we do. Absolutely. And that's so hard because the other part of that is like the people on the outside looking at you as the grief stricken person judging what you do. Yes, that right. too. So there's the other <laughs> problem is like, it's like, when do right. you date somebody? When mm-hmm. do you get remarried? When mm-hmm. do you move past this? And for some people, it's going to be too soon. And for some people, it's going to be too long. And right. the most important thing is you figuring out with a professional what's best for you. Right. You know, if your therapist who you've been mm-hmm. meeting with for months and who knows you and who's walked through this grief every week is like, okay, 
this makes sense and this seems like a good thing and you know tell me why this is pros and cons and let's work through the issues and mm -hmm. if you have a good therapist they're doing that mm -hmm. then yeah it makes more sense right but if you're just winging it mm -hmm. and you're all by yourself and you have nobody from external looking in and going hey let's monitor this are you sure this is not about this or, i mean it's going to be bad right. and it is bad right and it's not just with moving on with relationships it's any big decisions like i mean I would err on the side of don't make any large decisions unless it's absolutely necessary due to finances or, you know. A crisis. Yes, yeah. for at least a year. Yeah. Just because you're not in a stable in emotional place. No. When those things happen. So, you know, sometimes you're in the position where maybe you do have to sell a home or you have to take your kids and move to another state because you can't, you're alone and you can't care for them. And those are circumstances that can't be avoided, but just to just make big decisions for, because you're uncomfortable mm -hmm. can, a lot of times it backfires and creates more problems. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I've had, see, I've seen people, but then you have people who, like you said, they have to get out of that situation because right. they can't live in the house. Right. Or they can't live in the city. And that does happen. You know, I know for my sister, it was like she they were living here in Treeport, And, you know, everywhere she go, went was somewhere they went. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like she just couldn't tolerate it. Yeah. You know, we kept talking about that. And she's like, oh, we went here and ate. We went here and ate. We went to church here. We were in this community. Mm -hmm. And everybody else. That's, I, mean, I think that's the other thing about grief is everybody else just moves on. Yes. You know, their life doesn't, quote unquote, stop. Mm -hmm. Well, and the person that's grieving's life doesn't stop. But <laughs> right. in their brain, it's like you start moving in slow po mm. slow motion. Oh, yeah. And everything is a fog. And, I mean, I, I tell you, I look back on the first year. I don't know what I did. <laughs> and I went to work every day. And I counseled people all yeah. day long every day. And I was a supervisor. And I, did, I don't know what I did. Yeah. <laughs> like... Honestly, and that's where, you know, when it comes to kind of talking about God and the spiritual aspect, I 100% know he carried me through that because I, I, I don't remember days driving to and from work. I don't remember. I mean, I had to be medicated to sleep, which is, that's a big thing that happens when with loss and grief is, I mean, your whole world, world's been turned upside down and you don't sleep, but you're exhausted. You don't eat for sometimes people eat more in the beginning. Sometimes people don't eat at all and lose a lot of weight and then start eating, mm -hmm. you know, like a comfort food type thing or feeling trying to fill the void. Yeah. Sometimes um, people drink a lot more, absolutely. do drugs, check out. I mean, people do a lot to cope to avoid that pain. Absolutely. They do. And just kind of on that line of thinking. There are a lot of healthy things you can do to kind of help you walk through grief and process grief. And, of course, talking about it is one way. Um, Why do you think talking about it is so difficult? Like what, what we'll get into, I know mm -hmm. we want to get into like what to do about stuff and we will, we promise we'll give you some answers. But, you know, why do you think talking about death and dying is so taboo? I think for a lot of people it's because they haven't. They, they're unsure of what happens when they, when they die. Mm. And unless they go on that journey, 
whether you're a Christian or you ascribe to another type of faith, you have to go on that journey to determine for yourself what you believe is going to happen when you pass away and or, or die. And if you have not done that, then it's very scary. Yeah, it is. And not only that, but people fear the suffering that comes with dying, mm-hmm. you know, the, the sickness and the things that can, that you have to watch and go through that a lot of people do have to watch and go through. And so I think it's that you have to specifically search that out and try to come to terms with it, your own ter- terms. And that can be different for everybody. Um, because it's inevitable. If you're born, you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're born dying. You know, I mean, absolutely. You're, 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 it's a downhill slide from the beginning. <laughs> yes. And I think that you're right. I mean, people don't want to talk about it. It's it's it, you know it's normal. It's a human condition to avoid pain and avoid the worst things. And I think also we we don't talk about it with our kids. We don't talk about it with our families. Families mm-hmm. have these family rules where no one talks about it, or mm-hmm. they you know. They gloss over it, you know, mm-hmm. they make it a thing. In in my experience, so two of my grandparents died and, and James died, and I 100% knew what he wanted, and that's just because we had had the conversation, um, which, strangely enough, and this is a little bit of a sidebar, he believed he was going to die before he was 50. He believed it from the time he was a little boy. And we had many arguments because I'd be like, stop talking about dying. Well, he fell dead from exactly what he said he was going to fall dead from, but 41. So, but he had very specifically for years told me what he wanted. And I finally, towards the last couple of years, started listening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so not that it wasn't difficult, but I knew exactly what to do for him. My grandparents, who were in their 80s, refused to speak about it and their deaths although because they were older were more natural for me and my brother they were traumatic for my mother mm-hmm. my grandmother's funeral she could not she couldn't figure out anything to do and so we had to step in and try to figure out things that we didn't know either yeah and so you're you're kind of propelled into these positions to figure out how to honorably lay someone to rest and say goodbye to them when you're in like the most pain. Pain. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's so man, that's so deep because <clears throat> it it means that you're trying to, and I'm just thinking about this right now, but it means that you're trying to make meaning in crisis. Yes. Like, and me and you talked about this, and we can get into like how to <clears throat> how to address that, but it's like you know, no one, lots of people don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they assume that everybody has the same belief or the same understanding about it as everybody else, you know, and then you get to this moment and you have to make these huge decisions and you don't even know what you believe about death. Right. You don't know what you believe about afterlife. You don't know what you believe about like your time with them now. I mean, I think that's another thing is like when people die, you're all of a sudden rehearsing and going back through, you know, all the things you should have said and, you know, didn't say and wish you would have done while also mm-hmm. trying to decide, like, how how do I find closure? How do I how do I do this event, right, a funeral, right. which is just, we can get into the insanity <laughs> of all that. But, you know, 
how do I make meaning out of this thing? Mm -hmm. Do I do this song? Do I have this pastor? Do I do this sermon? Do I, do I do an open casket? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, everybody's got 40 different opinions about that and making it very personal to them. Mm -hmm. And And the person who's gone, I mean, if they didn't say anything, right. (laughs) They don't care. (laughs) Right. Well, and you know, and kind of speaking on that, they don't, know what you're going to do or what's going <laughs> to yeah. happen but your heart wants to honor them yeah. and wants to show all the love you had for them and that they had for people and it's just it's very overwhelming to figure that out and sometimes you have three days to do it yeah oh yeah you know sometimes you get a, a week depending depending on what's happening um but like you and, said while you can't eat right. while you can't sleep Right. While you're dealing with, you know, work mm-hmm. and finances and cleaning up, while you can't go home and clean your office mm-hmm. or your room or mm-hmm. whatever else it is. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, whoo. Yeah. And so it's very challenging. And, you know, and all of those things do bring a certain amount of, it makes us feel like we're saying goodbye and letting go, but there's no real closure yeah. to death. And, because the pain the pain doesn't ever end. Over time it can get different. It may become less intense, but you never stop missing that person or caring about them. Um or thinking about them. Or thinking about them. Mm-hmm. There's and, so many times my grandmother, who I was really close to, that things happen with my boys or things happen and, and she used to love to get you know, newspaper clippings of everything, all my sports stuff. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. I have an article somewhere or I spoke somewhere, there's so many times that I think I need to cut this, you know, like there's just a moment where I'm like, I need to cut this out and send it to her. And I'm like, Oh wow, that's so crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's been, I don't even know how long, mm-hmm. a long time. Absolutely. Three, four years, five years, you know, mm-hmm. and then my grandfather's the same way. It's like, there's that, uh, you've probably seen it before, but there's the, uh, the artist rendition and it's like, it's this box with the ball in the middle. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. So there's a box and it's, there's a big ball in the middle that fills the whole box up and there's a button. Mm-hmm. And it says, you know, grief is a lot like this. And, you know, when it when it first happens, the ball is bouncing around in the box and it's just barely moving and it keeps hitting the button. You know, everything mm-hmm. hits the button, hits the button, hits the button. Well, over time, if you do the work, the ball gets smaller within the box, but it's still every every mm-hmm. now and then more and more hits the button. Mm-hmm. The button doesn't change. The grief doesn't change. The pain doesn't change. The ball just gets smaller. Yeah. You know, and it mm-hmm. let in the more work you do, the smaller the ball gets. But it's mm-hmm. it it can randomly hit the button any time. Absolutely. And it feels the same as it did day one or day two or day three. Mm-hmm. And that's just been so helpful to me because there are times where something hits me with my brother or my grandparents and I'm like, Oh, like I wish that they could meet the boys or I wish that they were still here for this. And mm-hmm. you just feel this well of like grief and it's like the day after. Right. And I think people think you just move past that. And at some point you don't have that pain and you, or it's wrong if you do. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, no, that's actually how it works. Right. And, and yeah, I think there's a, actually a lot of shunning and shaming yeah. for that. You know, if you bring it up and it's been two, three years, I mean, I have some clients that they're, that are going, they go through that. And it's like people are saying, why are you talking about that? Mm-hmm. Why are you, why are you bringing up? you shouldn't be in pain anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, well I am <laughs> right. And, but that's the same. I mean, golly, how many clients have you said, you know, Oh, I don't need to talk about that thing with my dad because I'm, I'm way past that. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And it's like, well, you actually never dealt with it. Right. You never actually felt it. Right. And that's the other thing about grief is you have to grieve. You do. Just because somebody dies doesn't mean you're actually, I mean, you might be going through the grieving process. Right. So let's talk about that. What are, you know, talk about the stages of grief and kind of what does that process look like for those that are, I mean, I think a lot of people have heard it, but let's well, make it make sense. Well, and so when we talk about the stages of grief from, which those stages, and this is just from my experience and my learning, apply more to someone that's approaching death, Mm -hmm. not people that it, or going through grief. That's good. So you may experience some of the, the five stages, which the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And you may, as a, someone grieving, you may go through each one of those, but you're going to go through a whole, whole lot more than that. Mm-hmm. So in the initial phases, even when it's something you're waiting on, kind of preparing like my grandmother we waited we knew we took her off the machines we sat on the bedside and just waited for her to take her last breath there's still a shock at that mm-hmm. in watching someone breathe their last breath you know when it's a um sudden death the shock is a little deeper and mm-hmm. last maybe a little longer and then you move into it could be anger it can be sadness and i didn't bring it but i ha- there's a book that i have that has a list and there's pages of emotions and every single one of them apply and you could be feeling 15 of them at one time absolutely and you know irritability it's li- yeah it's not linear right there's a lot of disorganization there's a lot of foggy brain and when i say foggy brain just like you can't you can't make decisions cuz you nothing nothing matters Nothing makes sense, but you know you need to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a lot of confusion in your brain sometimes. Um, a lot of being overwhelmed. And, you know, you do want to move to the point of acceptance. And what is meant by acceptance isn't saying, oh, I'm... Fine with it. I'm, yeah. yeah. It's, it's being able to <clears throat> know you are adjusting to your new normal. Yeah. And... We may not like the fact that we're in a new normal, but if you don't begin adjusting to it, then you get stuck. Absolutely. And I would say that, you know, the stages of grief are helpful for clinicians. Sure. What I mean is, is that what you, if you're a person and you're grieving, you don't know what stage you're in. Right. Like you need another external person to be like, Hey, this is where you're at. You're Mm -hmm. really pissed off and you're really angry and you're lashing out and that's okay and this is going to be a season, but let's be productive with that. Mm-hmm. You know, let's be mad about it. It is unfair. It is ridiculous. People are the worst, right. you know, like whatever <laughs> it is that you need validation in saying, and then let's, that's that, you know, that's what we talked about people. And, and you know, every podcast that we've had, I probably talk about this, but like, just like trauma responses, just like trauma care, just like taking care of people. It's a brain issue. Like when people are crying mm-hmm. and grieving, they're in their right brain. They're way over mm-hmm. here in fantasy land and emotions. Right. And when you come in and try to fix it, mm-hmm. you're talking to this left brain that's shut off and, and they're mm-hmm. not learning or listening. But if you can sit with them and put your arm around them or just sit beside them or just be in the room, mm-hmm. you're validating their pain. You're mm-hmm. allowing them to grieve. Uh, I can't remember if it's Walter Soar for Lament for a Son. It was one of the, book, the best books on grief I've ever read. 
I can't remember the exact story now. It's been years, but I think he had a son who died in a hiking accident and he mm-hmm. writes his journal and then lament for his son is the little small book that um, kind of takes him through the stages and the feelings and mm-hmm. the experiences. And, mm-hmm. and those personal stories are so helpful because it it's better than the stages. Right. You know what I mean? Like, well, cause you can relate and connect to, even if you didn't feel the exact thing, you can relate to, to what they're expressing and yeah. what they're saying. That's why I appreciate you, you know, being vulnerable today with your story is, you know, it's, it's going to be helpful for people because they are going through those things and mm-hmm. there is all the, the all mm-hmm. these feelings and it's not mm-hmm. as simple as being like, well, you're in anger and right. you're in, now we're going to move into denial mm-hmm. and, you know, or move into acceptance or whatever it is, you know? Right. And I, and I will say like when I, after James's funeral and I went out of town, I set up counseling for as soon as I got back. I knew myself well enough to yeah. know that I had to do that. And I, and nothing against any of the people around me and, and everyone did great things for me. I knew I wasn't going to talk to anybody the way I needed to except a counselor. Yeah, because you, <clears throat> you have to worry about their opinions. You have to worry about taking care of them. You have to worry about what they feel or what they're going to think or how they're going to judge. Mm-hmm. But being able to go to a non-biased person who you're paying to help you, right. you can say it however you need to say it mm-hmm. just to get it out. Mm-hmm. And then they get to kind of, you know, it's like taking this backpack in here and just dumping all, everything out of it. And then mm-hmm. you get to kind of pick things up and go, okay, what's this? How do I look at this? What do we need to keep? What do we need to leave? Mm-hmm. You know, and we can't manage that on our own. Right. But I think one of the problems is we've normalized, like death is not normal. And what I mean by it, it happens a lot. Mm-hmm. But God didn't intend for it to happen. Absolutely. And so from a Christian perspective, it would be like the feeling that you have that this was not supposed to happen. Is correct. Is correct. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, and one of the things with Dustin that was so impactful for me to learn was painful, but impactful is that I, uh, you know, knowing that he was going to die, I took all this time to to hug him and love him and Mm -hmm. tell him I loved him. And every interaction I had with him was like, okay, I need to make this count. Mm-hmm. I need to make this time count. Oh, he's over at my house. I'm keep, you know, I'm watching him and taking up, you know, make this time make meaning. And when he died, it wasn't enough, mm-hmm. you know, and what it pointed me to was that it's not supposed to be mm-hmm. that no matter what we do in this life, we can do the best we can. We can be present as much as we can. We can tell our loved ones as much as we want, but there's going to be a feeling of it not being enough because there is, there mm-hmm. is an after Right. That this is not over, mm-hmm. that we, you know, we will have eternity together with this person and, and then, you know, then it will be resolved. And I think the world and people want it to be enough. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they're justifying, well, you got time with him and you did this and he loved you and they loved right. you. And so it should be okay. You should, it should be enough and you should move on, mm-hmm. you know, or if you go to the other side, it's like, it has no meaning anyway. And, you know, nihilistic, I guess you can go all the way that way and be really really tough on yourself. But, you know, I think people, people have to understand that that feeling of loss, is going to be with them forever. Mm -hmm. Speaking of loss, you know, when it comes to grieving a person or even grieving after divorce or the, uh, the loss of a long-term relationship, you go through what's called secondary losses. Mm-hmm. And those are all of the things that like you will grieve that you're no longer a wife or a husband or, um, grieving if you didn't have children, mm-hmm. if you, um, grieving 
different things that you will encounter, especially with kids. Yeah. Every milestone, you will, there's a, a grief that comes from the fact that that person that you're supposed to share this with is no longer present, mm-hmm. and you're doing it alone. And all of those things are things that you have to process and face, or your life just doesn't get better and yeah. you stay stuck. That's good. I mean, it's a good thing to remember is that, you know, there, it's not just the loss of the person, but all the things around it. Right. And, you know, and, and those are things that'll come up and surprise you that you won't be like, you know, we expect holidays and anniversaries and birth dates. We know that those are going to be difficult days just because those were days that we gave special attention to, but there are other things that come up that, you know, the first time you go to a get-together and everybody's there except that you're a person. Yeah, or, when you're the single person again. Right, thing, and yeah. just different things like that. Um, and I've heard some, some clients say, um, you know, it's really annoying when people ca- call you on Christmas because it's hard and they didn't call you on the 15 days before that because for you, it's really not that different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's not any worse today than it was yesterday for you. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. It's like mm-hmm. tomorrow's the 26th. He's still not going to be here. She's still not going right. to be here. And often, like when Christmas is coming up, Christmas isn't as, just like you're saying, Christmas isn't as upsetting as the anticipation of Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> if that makes sense. No, it does. I've heard it a hundred times. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, so again, for people out there who are helping people through grief, remember that, you know, you need to check in with them ahead of time, mm-hmm. right? Not just during, but the aftercare, you know, the, the weekend check-ins like mm-hmm. Jenna did, like those little things matter so much mm-hmm. more. I mean, or as much as, you know, the, right. the meals, the meal train and right. meal trains. I love them. But my goodness, you know, it, it's not as helpful as people think it is. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend that like, I don't like this. Did a great thing this. for me that I have, yeah, that I have begun doing for other people. Is she bought me gift cards mm. for food? Oh yeah, that's so, so good. I, I could, I think there was like ten of them. Um, and you can send somebody else to use that gift card and get you food, but at least you're getting what you want. Right. Yeah. Well, and you know, because. For me, I didn't eat for like four months. I lost a ton of weight, yeah. and then I started eating. And yeah, you know, yeah. whole another story. But um, I didn't cook anymore. I would. I, it was a year before I went in the kitchen. If mm. if I had didn't, pl- if it wasn't a planned thing, and people were coming over, I did not go in my kitchen. And so, you know, that turned out to be a great thing for me that I in turn have done for other people. Because even though. Again, it's well-intentioned, and it can be helpful, especially when you have kids, Mm -hmm. to have meals coming. But a lot of that goes to waste. Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I hate to say that. Oh, no. Because you're not going to eat. so much food. You don't want to eat. Yeah. So, and um, so another thing that I do for people, um, because I lived on goldfish crackers and peanut butter crackers for, (laughs) like, months and so i make little baskets of snacky things yeah because that may be all i ate in one one day was you know a pack of peanut butter crackers right and it was all i could do to do that i'm sure so you know just providing people with multiple avenues of things yes Yes. yeah i think we get so you know stuck with the the things that we've always done and we've always seen done 
mm-hmm. you know, and no, and usually like you, you know, people who are going through grief. We don't want to be unappreciative. So nobody's like, well, this isn't helpful. Right. And it's not that it's not helpful and it does mean something to you. Absolutely. It does. It's, it's just, there's, you can't do anything about the condition of your body at that time. Yeah. And I think people need to learn to tolerate when a person comes to you and says, I know you intended this well. I know you put a lot of in- effort into it. And I appreciate that. It also didn't help that people have to be mm-hmm. able to tolerate that sure. and hold that mm-hmm. and not take that personally and be offended and not mm-hmm. say, well, you should appreciate it because I did the best I could and right. I took my time, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You're right. And again, that goes back to, you know, asking what people need and being able to say, this is what I need. Yeah, exactly. And for <laughs> people who are going through, you know, again, I think we're talking about like a, a healthy individual who knows what they want, knows what they mm-hmm. need. Right. Most of us aren't, and we don't know what to expect and we don't know the things that are going to hit mm-hmm. us. And in that whole concept, I think is something that's difficult in our culture is we don't, we learn, you don't ask for help. Yeah. You have to do it on your own. Pull yourself up by your And bridges. so when someone comes at you saying you need to figure out what you need and tell people, it's like, no, I can't tell people what I need. No, oh, yeah. Well, but you, you're not going to get the support you need unless you do because they don't know what to do, but they are offering. They right. They want to. So there's, t- <laughs> like, I mean, that's part of this podcast is twofold. One, to teach people grieving how, how to, you know, what's going on, but also to remind people, like, there are things to do, mm-hmm. you know, like it, you don't have to just do a mill train. You can right. do other things. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a, we had a friend, uh, we had, I mean, we had a lot of support with Dustin and speaking of asking for help. I mean, I was the worst, you know, I'm a two on the Enneagram. And so I'm like, uh, you know, I want, I want to help everybody else. I'm, you know, we mm-hmm. were like this as therapists and it's like, I'm not used to letting people help me mm-hmm. and letting help me people help me in the past. I had to pay for it. So it's like, mm-hmm. oh, you helped me, but now I'm going to have to listen to that for the next, you know, year of my life or be forever indebted to you. Mm-hmm. So I was just really bad at that. But with Dustin, everything was so difficult that, you know, the, the, the B group, they were, the Sunday school we were in, like they were super helpful. They come over, came over and prayed over the house, over him. They brought us meals. Uh, one of my friends, Tyler and Amy, they dropped, I remember they dropped us off. Like when we were going through some things with our kid, they dropped us off in a hundred dollar gift card, you know, and you know, those things are super helpful, they are. but they don't take away your pain. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily move you through the process any faster right. or faster than what the people would like it to be. Yeah. And so on both ends, as a, as a person grieving, you have to realize lots of times people are doing the best they can with what they have. Yes. You need to learn to be better at asking for what you need. Mm-hmm. And then the people who are trying to help, you know, have to be more specific and, you know, focused on how to help and not just throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I think both of those are, are mm-hmm. why we are, you know, in the situation we are with people not knowing how to grieve and process. Right. Which then, unfortunately, does make them in the grief. Because there is a bad version, right? There is the, the unresolved grief mm-hmm. where people don't want to move on. Right. Where people are still doing the same things they, mm-hmm. they've been doing. And that could be because they've avoided or, or because what you just said. They, they don't want to accept that that person is gone. And mm-hmm. so they refuse to adapt to a new reality. And then those people do become depressed and isolative and their life is not a happy one mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. It's a balance. And I think you can't find that balance without community. 
mm-hmm. without other people checking in on you and going, hey, you haven't changed clothes in four days. Right. I'm going to go turn the shower on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch the kids. Mm-hmm. You go take a shower. Mm-hmm. You know, little things mm-hmm. like that because that happens. Right. You know, it's like, hey, you know, there's five empty bottles of wine. Uh, let's mm-hmm. put these up. Let's get you some water. Right. Not judgmental, not critical, no, but right. just like, well, I'm going to help you walk through this together. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. And a lot of things that you need to do to process grief can be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that. So what are some ways if people are grieving and they feel like, man, they're not really moving past it and they're not really dealing with it and not moving past it, but, uh, but just moving yeah. in it and, processing that feeling and whatever feelings are, are coming up. Um, journaling is a great way. And I just grabbed a few journals that I have that are specific to grief and there's all kinds of them out there. So whether you've lost a spouse, whether you've lost a child, a parent, um, they have journals, grief journals specifically tailored Mm. to, walk you through the loss of that person and it's full of questions where you don't have to necessarily come up with what you're going to write about read one of those um let's see this one was write it write the person who passed away a letter of things you wish you had told them Mm -hmm. or is there a favorite clothing item of theirs that has sentimental meaning to you Mm -hmm. um and it, it just makes you go through things that um yeah, that if you, you don't talk about or ask about, like mm-hmm. they're going to get lost in the in mm-hmm. the right. Yeah, I have uh, this little. I mean, if you're listening, you can't see it, but there's a black car up there, and then there's mm-hmm. this little cannon that are up there, and mm-hmm. those are my grandfather's. Mm-hmm. And when he passed away, like the black car has cologne in it, and if mm-hmm. I open it, it still smells. I mean, it has the cologne still, mm-hmm. and you know, every once in a while, I'll open it and just right. smell it, and it's like whoa, like all the feelings and memories and all that kind of stuff come come so far back. Mm-hmm. So I made a list. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Not that we have to go through all of these, but all of these are things that you can do, and all of these are things that I did. Yeah. Um, but so outside of talking and writing, if you're a creative, artsy person, or even if you're not, um, trying to use art in a way to process grief mm-hmm. where um, you either paint it with paint brushes like how you're feeling like just letting emotion run through you and trying to connect that with something artistic um and i, I want to run through this real quick before we mm-hmm. go through the list because i think it's important because you mentioned it but then we and we're, we mm-hmm. plan on talking about it but for people listening maybe you don't have somebody who's died mm-hmm. right but maybe like you said those secondary things mm-hmm. but, and not even secondary like primary grief like I remember after Hurricane Katrina coming back out of the Superdome, you know, one of the things that I did and have done several times in really, really stressful times is written poems. Yes. You know, and that was about my loss of what I thought the world was like. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so just if you're out there listening, you know, grief is not just about death. It's about these stages that we've talked about. So as we go through this list, they're going to apply to those things, too. Sure. Absolutely. Um, So with the art factor I know one thing I did was I created a big collage I got a big painting or canvas and I finger painted Mm. and I'd never I hadn't finger painted since I was a kid but like I got the paint and just smeared it in the way that I was feeling Mm. and so 
it's a big globby mess. It, yeah. This particular collage is not an art piece that anybody would think, oh, that's really pretty. It's not pretty. <laughs> and I used colors that represented each person and then like used the dark black and mixed it all in. But then I went and found objects that represented feelings mm. like broken glass and empty cups and or that had a hole in the middle like those are the two that pop in my head and yeah. i there's something about putting an object with a feeling or can express it different than language does yeah it makes it concrete yes yeah um using music where you um oh man musical write, for sure. write songs <laughs> or you pick songs that speak to what you're feeling and you sit with it mm -hmm. and you listen to it and you allow yourself to feel it um writing letters to the person again that's what the journal thing was but in expressing things that you didn't get to say or that you want to say again mm -hmm. um yeah you were talking about that before <laughs> the podcast we we're saying you writing some of this stuff down <laughs> made you cry mm -hmm. yeah it's that right brain functioning right when you do mm -hmm. art when you do music it's all getting into your emotions mm -hmm. and we're so quick in america especially to go to logic mm -hmm. and make it make sense right yeah that's good you can take those letters and read them at grave sites yeah um balloon releases um planting trees in someone's honor where every time you look at it that's a representation of them in some way um i know i specifically used shirts and made pillows and then i took the scraps and made christmas ornaments and i took handwriting and made rings i mean i went you did a lot i did a lot it's good i created a lot of objects out of the person's belongings yeah um, quilt, uh, a blanket of shirts. Um, there's a lot of things you can do with people's belongings. Etsy and Pinterest have tons Absolutely. and tons of ideas. And, you know, I just, I went with every one of them. The first year, that's all I did. I spent every penny I had on, on doing grief related things. Um, making a memory box and putting special things in it. Um, having birthday parties for them after they're gone to, in remembrance you yeah. know some people set it's at holidays you know setting a place for them like just because they're gone doesn't mean you have to like never speak about them or never allow them and their memory to be part of things mm -hmm. now again that can be difficult for some people to do it might be more painful for them than helpful but if it's helpful well i think that's a great point it. is that as people listen to the list like some people are going to not want to touch any of this stuff and not for like an unhealthy reason it's just not how they are mm -hmm. you know like i'm not a i'm not a graveside person mm -hmm. like that's just not my personality right you know i i'll go like when i go when i go home and my mom probably listened to this <laughs> but you know when when i go home with my mom or for there or whatever you know, they'll want to go out and like everybody in DeVille is, you know, plotted, you know, they're going to have their family. They already got our plots probably. Mm -hmm. And it's like, here's where you're going to be buried. And here's where Papa's buried. And we're going to go out and visit and we're going to go out to these things. And, mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that's good or bad. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't do it for me. Right. 
not Absolutely. negatively. I'm not avoiding it. I just, for me, it, I, that doesn't impact. I'm not, I don't cry when I'm standing out there, mm-hmm. but like for my mom, maybe they're like, put stuff out there. They go visit them. They talk to them. They pray to them you know, or not pray to them, but pray with them, you know, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And I'm just like, none of that, you know, makes sense to me right. and not, in a, and I don't judge them for it, No. but I think mm-hmm. that's the most important thing is you have to be congruent with who you are mm-hmm. and you have to figure out, am I avoiding mm-hmm. or am I overdoing it? Mm-hmm. You know, and you can't look at somebody else and go, well, Brandy for, you know, somebody listening going, oh my gosh, Brandy did all these incredible things and I haven't done any. Right. Well, check with yourself and maybe you do need to do some of them, mm-hmm. but you also might not need to do all of them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because I think that's yeah. the other thing is like one mm-hmm. size fits all is what gets us in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's just the way you have to do it. Right. And I will, I'll speak to that in the fact that I created a whole room and I, I did so much that after about a year and a half, I started looking around my house and all it was was stuff of dead people. Mm. And I, not just James, but, and so yeah, I started thinking, this isn't, this isn't healthy. Uh, this is every, you know, everywhere I look <laughs> is a picture of someone who is no longer alive. Yeah. So I scaled it back and it's all in one closet. Nice. <laughs> and I have to specifically go and open that closet if I want to. But my entire house had turned into like a shrine. And yeah. I was like, this, this, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but so, you have yeah. to do it. You know, that's right. the other thing is you don't have to do grief perfectly. Mm-hmm. You walk through it and you do the best you can. And sometimes you have to check yourself and go, okay, this is too much. Right. You know, this is a little farther than mm-hmm. what I want to go. But it had its purpose at the time. Right. Oh, yeah. Like when I was doing it all, that's all I could do. Like, mm-hmm. and that's how... Really, well, you that's, survived. Yes, that's how I survived. Yeah. And, so, and it's what you needed for that day at that time. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, because you're doing the work, it's not what you need anymore. Absolutely. You right. know, and then you have to shift that. Right. And I think that's hard for people, too, is, you know, when they've been grieving a certain way for so long, mm-hmm. giving that up. Right. And or feeling like if I'm not this sad all the time, then I that must mean I don't miss them or I don't oh, love yeah. them or I don't that's care about one. them. And that's so not true. That's such a big one. And the majority of people that have passed on, their wish is not for you to sit and, and be sad for them. They want you to to live your life yeah. and to and to experience things and even to, you know, have new love. And you have to get to the place where you can be ready for that but i think it isn't a nat to some degree it's a natural process to have some guilt when you move forward Mm -hmm. but if you stay in that that's not healthy yeah for sure i mean jc and i talk about it all the time like would you remarry if i died tomorrow and what Mm -hmm. would that look like and and i think those are important conversations to have Mm -hmm. but we want to avoid them a lot of times and never talk Mm -hmm. to them Mm -hmm. talk about them because of the pain and the awkwardness of it Right. You know, and I'm like, no, you, you can't ever marry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know what I think about it. You know, we're still kind of in the middle of talking about it. And I'm like, right. well, I trust that as long as you're prayerful and as long as you use your community, as mm-hmm. long as you go to therapy, as long as you, you know, take your time with it, mm-hmm. then God's going to do what he's going to do for whatever's best for you. Right. But I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's best for me. And I don't know, you know, I definitely can't measure that to our best friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you can't say what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But. Keep going with the. I know you got more stuff on the list because I, I do think want. I mentioned most of them. Okay. Good. Um, yes, and people can figure out new things, right? I mean, people can get on there online and and Google. Right. I mean, and these are just the ones that, you know, as I was thinking you. about this, that were helpful. Um, 
planning, doing activities that they enjoyed. Like, you don't have to stop doing everything just because that person's not there. Or if there's, you know, a time when you just want to kind of be in their memory for a day. Mm -hmm. Go and do the things that they loved. Take people with you to do them. Like, you know, that's another way of processing Mm -hmm. is just continuing to live and enjoy what they enjoyed. Yeah. I think you can't be embarrassed about how you grieve either, you know, mm-hmm. if you're a spout, I mean, and it all depends if you're a husband and wife and you lose a kid or if you're a single person, right. I mean, a married person, you lose a spouse, like, you know, being honest with the other people who are close, who are still living about what you need and how you need to grieve mm-hmm. is important, you mm-hmm. know, and, and to not judge the other people for what they're doing, mm-hmm. you know, to be a learner, to, to say, tell me why that's helpful for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you go out to the graveside and you sit and you read for hours. Right. Why is that helpful? Right. Like not, is that helpful? You know, like mm-hmm. not already have an assumption that that's probably not good and it's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. But kind of let it, figure it out together because it's a process. Right. And although you can eventually over grieve, like m- more, mm-hmm. more than not, you probably need to lean that direction than under, in my opinion. Right. You know. Yeah. And I think it comes down to, again you knowing yourself and knowing like when you need to do something to process and when you need to sit with in it alone or when you just need to let it flow through and go mm-hmm. if, if that makes sense. No, it does. So on that, since we got, you know, a little bit of time left, me and you've been talking about, um, some stuff we want to do with the practice and, you know, changing some things. So how can we, and, you know, people in their area, professionals who are listening to this in their area, you know, we're planning some things, you know, for 2021, 2022 on, on helping with this, because I think one of the things we talked about a couple weeks ago was no one's planning Mm -hmm. and no one even knows a context to talk about these things. So like I said, me and my wife talking about what you're going to do, like we need to get our will in order. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to know where our kids are going to go if we get in a car wreck. Right. You know, the statistics are very clear. Mm-hmm. Very few people are doing that. Absolutely. And like you said, that causes so much headache and heartache mm-hmm. and angst and depression and PTSD for everybody left behind. Right. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what we talked about. <clears throat> Pretend like I don't know for those listening <laughs> and kind of what we're going to do and what we're mm-hmm. what we think would be helpful. So for lack of a better term, I, I right now I'm just calling it end of life planning and for me that doesn't mean the part where you go and get your burial plot and pay for that I'm thinking more of like helping people prepare and actually plan their funerals Mm -hmm. um, who they want the minister to be if that person's available or how they want someone to choose a a minister um, the songs the flowers what they want to to represent them um even ideas on like for each person that passed away over the last couple of years, every person's funeral was different. We did it all different ways mm-hmm. creatively. So what your creative approach is, um, writing obituaries before you die, L- like rough copies. Of course, yeah. there's always got to be tweaks and, and changes, but if there's a good outline to follow 
and even having some things prepared, having pictures in a place ready, you know, things to make those things they put up and yeah, yeah. The, I don't the know the tech. Yes. There yeah, you go. Yeah. <laughs> to do those Which, things. Man, those things always get everybody. It, but it's very hard when you're in those moments. You've got to pull out all the pictures albums and all the things. Yeah, and, and you have three days to a week to And do you're it. searching uh-huh. for all the, you know, the, the pictures that are going to best represent that person's life. And then you have to put it together in whatever way you put it together. And so, I mean, my goal and what I want to help people with is planning that before hopefully long before it ever comes yeah. but even if you're in stages of you know maybe you have terminal cancer yeah. or some kind of illness or you know you know yeah you have an illness that you know you're not going to live past 50 or yeah right. you know just being prepared and not only does that help the people that are going to be grieving when you pass away. It's going to give you peace of mind that my family knows exactly what I want and what to do, and and it's going to ease their suffering a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because it's a guarantee, mm-hmm. you know, the, that we're going to die. Absolutely. You know, I mean, ever we're talking about it, like, and I'm like, oh, that's that's a lot, you know, and it's like, but it's going to happen, right? So you either don't at all plan for it, or at some point you take the space to do it. Right. And even like we talked about before, I mean, I would like to help people, and I have had clients that I've done this with, is help them on their journey of figuring out what does it mean to me? Like, what's going to happen to me after I die? What do I believe? Because if we need to become more comfortable with the fact that that's where, that's what is going to happen. Yeah. Trying to think. So the end of life planning, funeral preparations, wills, like even before you go and, and make a will and a living will and DNRs and, and all of the medical things, you know, maybe having some, helping them figure out what do I want to leave to who and how do I want this written and how do, you know, like just helping them talk through all of those things mm-hmm. because while things are not important and they don't go with somebody when they pass away if there's not plans and things specific here families some families handle that great and do everything perfectly or well and some people fight and families are destroyed over people's things yeah i uh i mean i don't know the whole story because i was little but my grandfather was uh passed away when i was 12 and I remember every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, every holiday, we were always over there. And he was always pulling stuff out and like, hey, this is going to be yours. This is your gun. This is your ring. This is your thing. And when he passed away, it was my step-grandmother at the time from from the story that I know is that none of that got passed down because there wasn't a will. They couldn't find it. Mm-hmm. And so it was just somewhat of a mess. And I don't know all the details and won't go into it. But I just remember, you know, as a kid being like, well, told me that that was going to be mine and I looked forward to that being a thing I hunted with and used and you know mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and and that never happened right you know and and that's a small scale of you know millions of things that people go through and it does it's divisive it breaks people apart people are ticked off and mad and mm-hmm. I wanted this and this had meaning for me and this had meaning for you and mm-hmm. you know it's a lot yeah and it if really they don't is. have it I mean it'd be really nice if it was planned right you know and talked through but yeah, and we and and so 
I think that would be extremely helpful as a culture and as therapists and as a team, if we could make that available to churches, make that available to businesses, make that available to anybody who definitely 100% knows it's happening, sure. you know, when there's an illness, but mm-hmm. in general, like being incorporated into therapy. And I think what I've seen, and we've talked about before is we do that anyway. You know, what ends up to happening is you're talking to some degree um, about the end of life and what's going on. But I mean, you're dealing with a hundred other things, so it doesn't get the attention it needs. Right. But to be able to have a specific thing where somebody's like, I'm really scared of death. Mm-hmm. I'm really scared of end of life. Mm-hmm. Usually because if we're being honest, it's like, cause this happened with so-and-so and now I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. If we had an avenue in which they could, could come and say, I want this specific service therapeutically, man, what a gift to people to be able to do that. You know, mm-hmm. like me, if I would have known, like I, I've been thinking about that with our kids and I'm like, we don't have all these extended family, but man, I certainly want to leave a will and leave who's, mm-hmm. who's going to be in charge of this practice. And right. because I don't want people fighting over it, like what was happening when I was a kid, Absolutely. but I wouldn't know who to go to because you would, you can go to a lawyer, mm-hmm. you know, but they're not going to walk you through the emotional traumatic family systems type things that right. you could. And to some degree that, if you don't know what you want, they don't know necessarily how to lead you to figuring that out. Yeah. Um, I mean, their job is the legality of it, yeah. which is important, Absolutely. especially in certain, even even if there aren't things to leave, you know, it's still important. Like, I don't know, the experience in my family is my mother was never adopted, but her father that recently passed raised her and the way they had to write it a specific way in the will, but, you know, and in my, my brother's case, he was adopted, but it has to be written a certain way in the will or that person has difficulty with everything they try to do in that person's death, especially trying to like close out someone's estate. Like it brings up all kinds of issues that you wouldn't know were a problem Unless you have prepared right. and planned for these things. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. That's good. I definitely think that that is, you know, and the more comfortable you get with speaking about death and planning for it, then kind of the less surprising it is when you begin approaching it. Mm-hmm. Or, or, and it's going to be, it's going to bring emotions. You're going to be anxious and it might mess with your sleep for a few days, you know, after you really sit down and and look at these things. But in the long run, you're, you're being proactive and planning for something that is 100% going to happen. Yes. You know, that's what's so crazy about it. I mean, even as we're talking about it right now, my brain's just like, that's like, even me, I'm like wanting to avoid, you know, and it's like, yeah, but this is not like a might happen. Mm-hmm. Right. This isn't like, well, what happens if somebody, you know, loses this job and we have to do this other thing? Well, we won't. So let's not plan for it. Like mm-hmm. this is a thing that's 100 percent going to happen and have major effects on the family for generations. Right. You know, in one way of looking at it as well is planning how you want your funeral to go, whether it's a, a burial and all of these things or a cremation, and all of these things cost you no money except the time to sit down with someone to do it. Yeah. And I think like, it, and if, if they're sitting with you, like it's so therapeutic because mm-hmm. you're making meaning of each one of those things, which actually helps you then focus on the things that are current in your life and make those things that at the end of life are so important. 
we were t- a client was talking this morning and we were talking about work and figuring out what they're going to do with their kid and a bunch of other stuff. And, um, and we were talking about like looking at life is like, what would it say on your headstone? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the same process. It's like, do you want it to say it was a great businessman, you know, or do you want to say great father, great husband, you know, mm-hmm. great follower of Christ. And so when you don't plan, you, you don't realize that you're actually living your life as if what's going to be on your, your tombstone is like, he was super busy. Mm-hmm. He made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. He had nice stuff. He had a huge 401k and you don't stop to really look at the context of which, like, what are you investing in and what are you spending your time with? Mm-hmm. But when you have to sit with, let's say somebody comes to you or me or whoever and has to sit and process that, it's like, oh, we're fine tuning what that tombstone's going to look like, what that end of death stuff's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And when I do die, which I'm going to, whether tomorrow or that, you know, 40 years from now, these things are going to still be representative of who I am. Mm-hmm. And no one's going to be surprised. Right. Like they're going to go, oh yeah, that's who Brandy was. That's who Clint was. Like that's what they focused on. Mm-hmm. And that's of course what they're doing at their funeral because that's, that's representative of them. Mm-hmm. Not what did other people think about? I mean, that's important too, but that's not the, it's not so off and you're just trying to wing it and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, what's some, anything you want to talk about grief wise that if, you know, if somebody's listening that you really just want them to understand and any kind of last thoughts, I guess the overall thing I I would want to say is that to try not to be afraid to sit with the pain Hmm. and to, and to talk about the person, even if you, if you think someone else is bothered by it, do it anyway mm-hmm. because most of the time a lot of times people aren't bothered and we think they're bothered yeah do what you need to do and find the support network that is going to be able to walk with you in that in the way you need them to that's so but good. definitely to to allow yourself to process it yeah you know don't shut it down i mean there are times when you know maybe because you're at work you have to shut it down and do what you have to do but Give allow yourself opportunities. Put a pin in it. Yeah, allow yeah. yourself opportunities when you're not in your work life or dealing with children. You know, carving out time where you allow the grief to just kind of flow through you, and you cry, and you get mad, and you punch things as long as you're not going to hurt yourself. You mm-hmm. know, and do get do, a punching bag. Do what you need yeah. to do to release some of that because no matter how you deal with it, if you don't deal with it, it's going to come out in some form. Absolutely. That's and good. I don't think we touched on that, but your, bo- your, bo- yeah, go your body's going to hold you it. Got and you're, it's going to come out in some way, shape or form. Um, whether it shows up in illness, whether it shows up in your body being in pain and hurting or whether the lack of sleep continues and you never, get back on a normal, natural sleep rhythm. Um, It'll come out in the way you deal with other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's going to, it's going to show itself. And so. Yeah. It comes out in the way you commit and the way you are vulnerable and in the way that you do marriage and the, you know, all the Mm -hmm. things that you, Mm -hmm. that you did previously, they don't go away. Right. You know, that grief integrates, and if you don't process it and make meaning out of it properly, that's what I love about, I know recently, I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, but 
Kubler Ross, what's the first name who did the grief stages? Elizabeth. Yeah. Um, you know, now they've let this other guy come in and make a, a sixth stage, which yes. is making meaning. Mm -hmm. And I love that because that's really yeah. so true. It's like you have to make meaning out of these things. Right. And that's what I keep going back to individually. Like you have to make your own meaning, mm -hmm. your own, what's going to help you move through, what's going to help you process, what's going to make meaning out of who they were and who you are and who God is. Mm -hmm. And then you can find some peace. Right. It doesn't mean you're going to alleviate all pain. Right. You know, and focus and try to remember and focus on the fact that you're the only one walking in your shoes. So if someone doesn't understand what you're doing, that is okay. And they're not going to. It is okay. Yeah. Um, do what you need to do for you as long as you're not doing harmful things to mm -hmm. yourself, you know. Absolutely. Um, I did want to spend just a few minutes on, uh, you know, kind of, Right now we're in this 2021, we're in like 2020 part two or something and like, you know, COVID. So one of the mm -hmm. things that I saw with COVID that's been, uh, you know, grief related, um, for those listening, like there is a process in which we're all grieving as a world, as Americans, um, through this pandemic. And I've seen kind of the stages of grief played out, right. Mm -hmm. That when it first came, we were in denial. Mm -hmm. everybody's like no that's just china sure you know mm -hmm. is it going to be over there it's not going to be that big of a deal and then then it come came here and they started canceling things and you know your gyms get shut down and we got into anger mm -hmm. you know we're like i was mad i was like this is ridiculous like it's two people in america have it why are we shutting everything down and then then i got into bargaining where i'm like okay well we'll shut down for three weeks that'll be long <laughs> enough like we'll be all right and then we'll be fine Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, I don't know what stage we're all in now, but I you know, definitely not acceptance. Um, but, you know, it's been a it's been a strange season as a world, especially with social media and especially with um, the way that we all can see everything constantly in the news sources we get. Um, but I just wanted to remind everybody out there that this is a form of living grief. Like people are grieving sure. and, and you know, the loss of their jobs, the loss, loss of their expectations. And when you're in that, like, I know for me, I had, like, I have a six and a three-year-old boys and I like used to love thinking about what we're going to do next year or what we're going to do when they're 14. And because we can't do any of the things we used to do, mm -hmm. or I have a harder time connecting to those mm -hmm. future things. Sure. Because I'm like, I have no clue what this is going to look like. Right. Um, and so I've heard a lot of people complain about that. Like, well, I just can't find joy right now. I just can't, I can't hope. I can't have vision. And it's like, well, of course you can't. Right. Like no one's giving us a way out of this and you don't want to be a doomsday person, but you also, it's hard to like mm -hmm. muster up the, the, you know, feelings to, to look to the future. So that's just something, you know, this all contextually falls into that, mm -hmm. but I wanted to get your thoughts on kind of sure. what you thought about COVID and how is it affecting us with grief? I think a lot of people feel, um, trapped, mm -hmm. um, because they don't have, they have limited things that they can do with their lives. Um, you know, even if they wanted to do certain things, it's just not allowed. Right. And so, and you can only stay in four walls for so long before that affects everyone's mental state. Absolutely. And um, you could be the most optimistic person on the planet, and it those people are being affected. Yeah. Because 
your social networks are smaller. Who you can spend time with regularly is smaller. Um, where you can go is limited. Um, I mean, it's it's like we've gone back in time. Oh, for sure. To a, you know, a, a, a world that we're not used to. Mm-hmm. You know, we, you know, we had a lot of freedoms and a lot of endless amounts of things to do, and it's all just been taken away, and so. It's figuring, you know, each person has to figure out their own path through that and how to deal with that and how to work with the feelings that that creates for them. But Mm -hmm. it's definitely grief. Yeah. Um, The loss of, to some degree, freedom. Yeah. The loss of, um, I mean, for a lot of people, it's, they haven't seen their parents or, you yeah, know, older parents. Like yeah. there are some people like in my family, thankfully, I'm not going to say we don't care, but we're seeing one another, <laughs> you know, and even if we had COVID, we, we're going to be in each other's space yeah. because, but there are some people that can't choose can't, not to. Right. Yeah. And so there are some parents who haven't seen their grand, I mean, grandparents who haven't seen their grandkids or their kids since this began. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have... My, my mother has a friend who literally hasn't gone anywhere oh, yeah. since this started. Yeah, and I have some <laughs> clients who have really, you know, specific illnesses that, you know, haven't seen each other's faces inside the house and, you know, because they're wearing yeah. masks in the house and they have to. You know, right. it's not like even an option. Like to them, it's life or death. And we mm-hmm. don't have to get into whether that's true or not true. Right. But it's people's experience of this thing it's been so different. And on top of it, I mean, I think 2020 was just a lot of things. I mean, whether it's the election or whether it's, oh, you know, yeah. political stuff, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, lots of, of loss happens. And I have one client who I don't see anymore, but she'll know who she is when I'm talking about it. But, you know, every time we, we talk about things and we were in therapy, you know, I'd look at her and she's like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, what? And she's like, is this loss again? You know, like, because it was all back to her childhood mm-hmm. that she had never worked through loss in the specific. And so the losses that she was currently experiencing were bringing her all the way back to these like unresolved losses. Mm-hmm. And for her, that was just the thing, you know, whether it was her kids or whether it was working. And, and so that's what, you know, I want people to remember through this process is that grief and loss are, they're different. They're the same. It's not just about death. It's about the loss of expectations, the loss of perspective, the loss of what we had. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're all going through that. And so if we could all just be a little patient with each other, mm-hmm. you know, if we could all lean into the uncomfortableness of pain and let people sit in their junk a little bit, if we can all assume that the other person's doing the best they can with what they have and ask them what they need. And then if you're a person out there struggling Find some people who are safe in your life and be a little vulnerable, you know, share what you need and allow them to help you and let it be good enough. You know, mm-hmm. it, it may not be what you a hundred percent need. It may not take away the pain, but let, let it be good enough and let, let the, let the community and the connection be something that maybe doesn't fix your wounds, but that, you know, put some salve on there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, any closing comments for you? Um, it's good to talk about this yeah, and to great. put it out there and I hope that someone learns something from it gets something from it and I, I hope as I move forward um, 
in my practice that I can help more people with this. Absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to us kind of, te- you know, continuing to do what we do and hopefully we can get stuff on the website and get some videos and get an actual like structure to what we're talking about and, mm-hmm. you know, be another great resource for people. And I think, you know, you're going to do an amazing thing with people for that, you know, at, at our practice. And, you know, it's, it's much needed. So if you're out there and you're listening to this and you're grieving, uh, Brandy Walker, she's an awesome therapist. So she's at Clint Davis counseling. Um, we have other therapists who work with this. Um, if you need to find a therapist in your area, you know, make sure you reach out and, and process, you know, we, we'd love for people to do the preemptive work of talking about this beforehand, before we're in the crisis, before we're in the pain. Um, sometimes we don't get to do that. And so if you're in the pain, if you're in the middle of grief, you know, it's okay to go and ask for help. It's okay to process with someone. Um, and if you don't have people around you who are being helpful, it's okay to tell them it's not helpful. Mm-hmm. And they're big, big boys and girls, and they can you know, learn to filter and differentiate and, and work on their stuff. So thank you all for listening. Um, be sure to subscribe on our YouTube channel or leave a comment or um, give us a, what is it called? A, um, a star or five stars or whatever on iTunes. Um, and so we'd be thankful for that. Um, Have a good day. God bless.